Well, hey, good morning once again. Welcome to Mountain Lake Church. So glad that you are here. And uh, I've got a little bit of a confession to make. It's, uh, and, and if you know me well, or if you think you know me well because you follow me on social media, you've, you probably already know this about me, but I'll admit it, not afraid to admit it, that I am not a handyman whatsoever. I don't do well fixing things. I really don't know where to start in fixing things. It's just not at all what I'm gifted at. And my dad sometimes has a hard time because he grew up a carpenter. I mean, he fixes everything. He's like, where have I gone wrong, wrong son? What, how did you not know how to, how to do these things? And it's just me. I just don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to fix many things. But, but I like to try. You know that, guys, you'll relate to that where, where when you have that decision, do I try and maybe make it worse or do I just call the repairman? We're like, nah, I'm going to try even if it's going to make it worse. It's like we want to at least try. And uh, so this was last fall. Last fall, several months ago, my wife comes to me and says, hey, our dishwasher's not working. And I'm like, well, it seems like it's working okay. Let's just see if it works itself out, right? I'm very good at ignoring broken things. Very, very good at ignoring it. And let's lay hands on it. Let's see if that helps it. And a couple weeks went by, and I noticed that uh, more and more water started to add up and, and stay in the bottom of our dishwasher, which, as you know, you're not supposed to have a lot of standing water in your dishwasher. So then I went to my wife and said, you're right. It's broken. What are we going to do about it? And she said, well, why don't you go ahead? Let's, let's call repairman. I was like, no, we will not call the repairman quite yet. I'm going to fix it. And she says, Brian, the love of my life, Brian, my husband, whom I care and love about, love more than anything else, please just make the phone call. And I says, no, let's at least try. Let me see if I can figure it out. And so she gives me one of those okay kind of looks right and so I got two things I went and got my my box of tools which isn't very much like I said I don't fix things so I went and got my small box of tools and I got my phone because my phone has YouTube on it I was like we're gonna figure this out so I find a YouTube video it was this expert it was like a, a two-minute video of how to fix all of the, what we were dealing with with our dishware it's like he fixes this in two minutes totally I can do this I have no doubt so I pull everything I get the dishwasher pulled out disconnected taken apart and there's this moment where I'm looking at it in my kitchen of, what have I done? Because <laughs> even if I don't fix it, I still have to put this thing back together. And uh, in that moment of, of desperation, I was like, okay, I just need a moment. So I actually took a picture and I put it up on my social media. I put it up and, and uh, this is what it looked like. There it is. Pulled out, turned over, things starting to get disconnected. And, uh, and it, it was just... I've got to figure this out because the two-minute YouTube video, lo and behold, was not as helpful as I was anticipating. And so kept watching it over and over and finally, finally was able to get things back together, reattached everything, did what I think I was supposed to do. He said, clean this part out and reattach this and check that. Did all that, finally got it back together, which is a miracle in and of itself. Pushed it back into the counter in the kitchen and it worked. It worked. Now, the first time I ran a cycle through, like, I'm down on my knees, like, listening and watching of looking for any kind of water that might come out of this thing because I probably missed, a, you know, missed some kind of a connection there. But I, I can't begin to express the amount of joy I felt when I fixed that dishwasher. I mean, I called my wife. I was like, Becky, look! Me fix dishwasher! <laughs> and, and she's like, like, is it fixed, fixed? It's like, my, it's not leaking! And the water's not standing there anymore. And I got my kids. I was like, look what your father has done. Look what he has built with his hands. <laughs> and, and they didn't really care. But, you know, I'm call, I called my dad. Dad, remember I told you I broke my, well, 
I broke my dishwasher. I fixed it. And he's like, like, really, really? And I couldn't believe all the questions people had for me. I was like, I fixed it. And man, I was just ecstatic that I was able to take something that was broken. And it, the video was two minutes. Mine was hours <laughs> into the, the wee hours of the morning trying to get this thing fixed. But man, I was so proud of myself. I was so excited. I was thrilled. I mean, I was grinning ear to ear. I was telling everybody that I knew and even people that I didn't know. The people at Home Depot were giving me high fives and I felt great. You know, it, it was more than just I'm happy that my dishwasher works. It was more than that, right? A repairman could have done that. But I was joyful. And as you can tell, this happened back in August. It's the end of January and I have not lost that joy because I fixed my dishwasher. <laughs> it was that great of a moment, right? But it's interesting that you can have that kind of joy that, also, that actually came from a, a pretty broken thing. In this case, broken dishwasher led to joy. <laughs> Very spiritual, I know. But it's interesting that we can say the word broken and the word joy in the same sentence. That it might start out broken, but through a process and through a dishwasher project, a lot of work, a lot of effort, it actually led to a place of great joy. Brokenness can actually lead to joy. The church is a great example. The church had a very broken beginning. I mean, for starters, it was just led by imperfect people. So it's broken from the, from the starting point. But even when you add then the persecutions and all the troubles they ran into with even the religious leaders, all the pushback, all the issues they faced as the early church, their broken beginning led to life change, led to joy. Even thousands of years later, here we are, full of joy and gratitude because of what started as something very broken. Brokenness, maybe. Now, I'm not saying this is across the board in all things, but I believe that brokenness can actually be the beginning of a life change story, a new life change story. That it might begin with brokenness, but it doesn't stay there. Right? Brokenness just gets us moving towards something we need. It's broken. We have to do something. It's broken, so it's not working. So what's left? So brokenness can actually pave the way and lead to a story of life change that leads to then joy. And that's what I want us to look at this morning is, man, we've been talking about brokenness and how we can fix it and how we can walk through it. But honestly, here's my true hope and desire for every single one of us this morning. The only thing that I'm hoping really happens to you today is that God would allow you to smile. That's it. That God would allow you to smile. Even if I'm in brokenness, you want me to smile? Yeah, because sometimes we smile through tears. Smile because not of the brokenness, but smile because of what God is doing and what he has done in our lives, but also in the lives of people around us. That joy and that life change, may we see it so that we can actually smile maybe just a little bit more. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at one of these life change stories and how it actually led to a lot more than just the individual's life change, but it went way beyond that. Acts chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles, head there. If not, I'll put on the screen behind me. Uh, we're actually going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4. We'll kind of jump through it pretty quick so you don't have to listen to me read two chapters of the Bible this morning. That'd be terrible in church, right? Sarcasm. All right, Acts chapter 3, here's what's happening. Jesus has already been crucified, empty tomb. He's gone up to heaven, and now his disciples or apostles are, are kind of left with 
gospel, now what do we do, right? A very broken beginning, and, and people are starting to follow Jesus now, and people are starting to become part of the church, but very, very early stages of it, and we're going to see one of the first miracles that happened in the early church. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 6. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were walking into the temple courts. It was time to pray. On their way in, they, they encounter and interact with a man that was on the side of the road, paralyzed, couldn't walk. And so he was just asking for help, asking for money, as he would have done day in and day out for most of his life. And here's where we're going to pick it up. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Then Peter said to this man who could not walk and was asking for money, he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right, now this is important, say this word, taking him by the right what? Hand. Hang on to that, remember that word, we're going to come back to it. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them. He didn't take off. He went with Peter and John still. They went into the temple. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter and John don't have the money that he was asking for, but they, they obviously said, we have something even better. And in the name of Jesus Christ, they healed this man. And they helped him up, and they all went in the, into the temple courts. And this man who was paralyzed, couldn't walk, is now walking, jumping, leaping, running. And everybody else is astounded. They're astonished. They're like, wait, I just walked by him just a few minutes ago. Isn't that the same guy? And they were filled with, what did it say, wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement. That is most certainly a life change story. But what's interesting is it doesn't end there. So often we, we talk about our life change stories that really consist of three parts. I was, then God, now I am. For this man it was I was lame. I, I could not walk, but then God, now I can walk and run and jump. And usually we end it there. It's like, that's my life change story. But what we see here is this story actually continues and it impacts more than just that one man. His life change story began to spread and cause so many other life changes. That's what I want us to look at, because this story is far from over. Began with something broken, led to this one man's life change, but it kept going. And we're going to see the results of that. So here's what happens next. After this man's healed, as we said, they went to the temple courts, they're... He's running around. People are amazed. They're full of wonder at what happened. And people started asking, well, what's going on? How did this happen? Isn't that the same guy? And so Peter steps up and, and tells people about Jesus. Jesus, remember who he was? You crucified him not that long ago. Yeah, him. He's alive. And he's still working, obviously. Look at this man. So he begins to preach and tell people about Jesus. And scripture says that thousands started following Jesus in the temple courts. This is happening. Well, the religious leaders are watching all of this happen. They're watching the temple courts, and they see the commotion that has begun. And they're not fans of Jesus at all, if you know anything about that part of the story. And so they look at what's happening and, and the commotion that it's causing and that people are starting to turn to Jesus. So they walk over, they send the guards, and they arrest Peter and John. They arrest Peter and John right in the middle of it and take them away to jail, give them a night in prison to think things over. The next day, let's say we're going to pick it up next. Now we're in chapter 4. The next day, these religious leaders, they have kind of a council. 
right? So they call Peter and John to the council after they've been in prison for one night, and they begin to question them. That's what we're going to find here. Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, that's a great question to ask. It's a question we would all want to know, right? You see, well, I remember what the man was like, and I see him now. Things don't add up. He couldn't walk, but now he can walk. What changed? What happened? What, what possibly could explain this? Because there's no other explanation. These religious leaders are having a hard time. What could possibly explain this? And we do that as well, don't we? When we see somebody that is, well, I remember what they were like at work before, but something happened and now they're like this. They used to never smile, but now they smile. What changed? When we go from the I was to the now I am, we see a difference. We see a change and we want to know why. Well, how could that be? How did that happen? What's the difference? What's the middle part? What's that process? I went from a broken dishwasher to one that actually works and is still working. Brian, how could you possibly have done that? (laughs) We want to know the why. We want to know the how. We want to know what happened in that middle part to connect the dots, to make this story make sense. Religious leaders do just that. What happened? How did you do this? By what name, they said, did you do this? Peter says, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about it. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, there's the I was, was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. In other words, I'm going to tell you how it happened. It says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That's how it happened. Remember that man you crucified? Well, he's not dead. God raised him. That man, remember Jesus? It was in his name that this happened. That's this middle part. Yeah, he couldn't walk, but now he can. How did it happen? Because of Jesus. That he's alive and he's moving and he's working and he has power that goes beyond anything we can understand. Powerful grace is what we're saying. He said that's the middle part. That's how this actually happened. What's cool about how Peter explained that is he immediately pointed to Jesus. Sometimes in those moments, we, we can get caught up in ourselves even and say, well, you know, I was praying this morning, and God told me I was going to heal somebody. Now, hey, if that's you, fantastic, but always point to Jesus. Because it's not us that caused the life change. It wasn't Peter and John that caused the life change. It was Jesus working through them. That was it. Always pointing back to Jesus. Jesus getting full credit on how it actually happened. Now, this is interesting. Look what happened next. So, He says all that, he kind of preaches to the religious leaders, and they're not sure what to do with Peter and John, because that wasn't the answer they were looking for, (laughs) so they don't know what to do with them. Verse 13, we get a little insight into their minds. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were, and what's this word here? They were what? Astonished. They couldn't believe it. They, They... they speak as though, as though they were educated. They speak as though they had authority, but they're just, as Scripture says, unschooled, ordinary men, but yet they had courage. It says they re- when they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they had, there was nothing that they could say. 
they saw several things. The religious leaders saw several things here. They first saw the courage. That was the first thing that's mentioned. They saw the courage of Peter and John, and it didn't make sense to them. How could Peter and John, these common, ordinary, unschooled men, have that kind of courage, speak with that kind of authority? To them, it didn't make sense. And then they began to connect. And I said, well, the only way that would make sense is if they actually had, they actually had been with Jesus. That had to be it. That's the only explanation. They had to have been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. It says they took note. Right? That's a big deal. These, this council, man, they were the elite. They were the high ups when it comes to religious authority. And from their standpoint, no one would have been higher than them necessarily. And for them to take note, it says there's something different about them. Took note that they had actually been with Jesus. But then there's something else that they, they saw. It says that they saw this man standing there. I love that he's there says that once this man was healed, he went with Peter and John into the temple courts. And that's where that whole commotion happened. We don't know when, if Peter and John, when they were arrested, if this man followed them to the prison or, or what the case was. But somehow the next day after his, him being healed, he is standing in the presence, not just of Peter and John, but of this entire Jewish council. And just imagine this, this man standing most likely kind of over in the corner, which he's probably still grinning ear to ear like, normally I don't stand. This is awesome. <laughs> And they're having this conversation with Peter and John. The religious leaders are asking how this happened. And Peter says, well, here's how it happened. And then you see the, the religious leaders just frustrated and confused of what to do next. Where they, they look at Peter and John and then they look over at the man standing there. Look back at Peter and John and they look back over at the man standing there who had been healed. And I would imagine this man is kind of standing there saying, hey, it works. <laughs> they did it. I don't know what to tell you. They saw him standing there, and it says that they couldn't say anything. There was nothing for them to say. There was nothing for them to do. So they did. The religious leaders did. The only thing that they could think of doing, they pulled, they pulled the mom and dad card. They, they couldn't say anything. They didn't want to keep them in prison any longer because of all the people that, that were just up in an uproar over what had just, just happened. So they did what a mom and dad would do, and they just said, stop talking about Jesus. <laughs> That's the only thing they could do is point their fingers and just say, well, just stop it. Stop it. I don't care if he's healed. I don't care what you say. Just stop speaking the name of Jesus. The only thing the religious leaders could think to do was just to point their fingers and say, stop it. That was it. But what's interesting here is even when they were trying to say stop it, they couldn't deny what they saw. They couldn't deny what they saw in Peter and John. They couldn't deny what they saw with the rest of the people. That witnesses. They couldn't deny the fact that the man that was healed was standing in their presence. See, that's what we really pay attention to. It's that man's life changed, but it started to go beyond just him. What we see is so important, especially when it comes to life change, because people are that proof. People are the proof that life change is actually happening. Sometimes we love to just hear the story, but to see it, to say, I see it, and I don't know how else to explain it other than Jesus. People are the proof that life change is happening. You are the proof that life change is actually happening. Not just in the great stories of God's word, but in our lives right here, right now, those stories of life change. The people that experience it and we see it, it's proof that God is moving, that God is working, that life change is actually happening. But we have to pay attention. We have to actually see it. And what we tend to do, and this is, this is not a, necessarily a negative thing, it's just tendency, it's just human tendency, is we tend to walk around life with, with a mirror in front of us, usually. We just kind of focus on that mirror because everything is 
filtering through that of, well, how does this impact me and, and what does this mean for me and what's going on in my life? We filter most things through self. That doesn't mean that we're selfish. It just means we, we know us best. <laughs> we think of us usually first. Like I said, you take that to extreme, of course, that's going to be a pretty bad thing. But we walk around, and so life change, for example, we see the life change that's in us. We, we pay attention to what God's doing in our heart, and we know what God's doing in our soul and in our family and with the people close to us. But it's really just focusing on that mirror of, okay, God, what are you doing in my life? And what's interesting is we see a whole new perspective when we put that mirror down for a little bit, and we see the life change of other people even. And we open our eyes to what God is doing in the lives of people around us. And I have a very unique perspective as being your pastor where I know my life change stories and my family and my wife's stories and I see what God's doing in our lives regularly, but I also get to see that in you because you confide in me and you email me and we go to coffee together and I get to hear your life change stories where you probably don't know what God's doing in the person next to you or behind you or in the back of the room or the front of the room, but for many of you, I know a part of that story, and I see more than just my life change story and more than, more than what God's doing in my life. I see what God's doing in your life. And it's this incredible perspective of God is doing amazing things, not just in my life, but in your lives as well. To pay attention to the life change in the lives of others is a powerful moment for us. To pull down that mirror and say, God, what are you actually doing not just in my life that's obviously important but what's he also doing in the lives of other people i know it's hard to do that i know it's hard to see that so uh, we put something together for you uh, it's a packet right and and in this packet you can go to our website download it look through it all on there i'm going to send it out in our weekly email this thursday which if you don't get emails from me on thursday or friday that means i don't have your email so it would be great if you filled out that communication card put your email on there you'll get it but what this is is all of 2017 numbers and numbers are important because those numbers represent people. They represent lives. They represent life change. And this is giving us a big perspective of, well, I know what God did in my life this last year, but what did he do across our church? What did he do at each of our campuses over this last year? So I just want to share a few of these. Um, one of them, this one always cracked me up. Uh, we figured it up. And we sung across both of our campuses, Forsyth and here at Dawson, over 3,050 songs sung over the course of 2017. Now, I teased Sean and Ontavia. That was probably the same five songs sung over and over and over again. I'm just kidding. But we sung, I mean, that's a ton of worship. That's a ton of praise every single week. That's incredible. 440 first-time guests walked through our doors, either at Forsyth or here at Dawson. 146 people went public with their faith through baptism just last year. 146 people got baptized just last year at Mountain Lake Church. Yeah. Over 700 people were in small groups. You, you might remember, if you were here, we raised money last year for Elam Bibles. And New Testament Bibles through this ministry called Elam, where they took New Testament Bibles and smuggled them into Iran to then distribute them. And we raised just over $38,000, which led to about 6,300 New Testament Bibles going into a country where Jesus is not known very well. That's incredible. You look through all these, here's a good one. 11,765 stickers were used by our preschool ministry. I love that. I love, all of my kids' ministries are, are volunteers are amen. That's so true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing of what God has done over the course of the year. There's a whole lot more. I want you to read through it, but there's, where's it at? There's two more numbers here. There's two more numbers I want to show you. I'm very excited about this one. I'm still grinning about this one. 
But right here, I don't know if you can tell, let me hold up. Right here, there's a big number one, and it says one permanent church building for Dawson campus. Awesome. And then right next to it, if you were here, you remember this, we, uh, before we fr uh, finished framing everything out and put all the drywall and sheetrock up, uh, we had people come in and just write verses all over the building on all the, uh, the, the foundation of it as, long as, the, as well as the walls. And we had 72 Bible verses written on the framing of our new building. I mean, those are numbers that point to life change. It's people and it's proof that more life change is happening. If you are here last October, we even talked about the Then God campaign that we were starting, a three-year initiative of God, you're leading us to, to be celebrating what we've got, but to keep moving it forward and do more to see more life change happen. So that's both of our campuses. Over the next three years, we're raising money so that both campuses, we have more usable space for more ministry to see more life change. What that looks like here is we've got some things we still need to tweak and work on. You may have gotten used to the nice faded blue 84 lumber color when you, when you drive in. I haven't quite gotten used to the blue yet. We need to stripe our parking lot. We need to improve our student space because you can hear them every time we preach. And I know you can hear me. We need to do some things to help that environment out, our kids' environments. We've just got some tweaks to make. Our Forsyth campus needs a total overhaul of the next-gen space, students as well as kids. So I'm proud to announce this for you. I'll put this up here, Beth. Here's how much that we've had pledged across both of our campuses, just over $1 million pledged over the next three years, Natalie. It's awesome. And I know the graph doesn't quite show the scale on this one, but just over $400,000 has actually come in. And once we get about to that 800000 mark, that's about our go mark of now we actually get to start. A lot of people are like, well, I haven't seen us do anything yet. It's like, yeah, we promise we're not spending what we don't have. So once we hit about that 800000 mark, you'll start seeing renovations at both of our campuses. It's exciting. It's exciting of what God has done, and it gives us a lot to smile about, a lot to celebrate as well. Now, you might be asking, if I was sitting in your chair right now, I might be asking, well, pastor, have we reached perfection? Like, that sounds great. Is there, is there nothing else we could possibly do to even move this forward for more life change? I'm glad you asked. Because, of course, yeah, go back to that word. What did I remember what we looked at when Peter and John, when they, they said, be healed, they reached out and grabbed what? Remember? A hand. He reached out and grabbed a hand. Let me show you this. You don't know I'm going to do this. Russell, can I borrow you real quick? Come here, Russell. We'll see if I hear about this later. All right, come here real fast. I promise you won't have to say or do much. All right, so if I'm going to reach out and take somebody by the hand, how many people does it take to do that? Not a trick question. That's right, two. It takes two. If I don't reach out, but if you were the paralyzed man reaching out for help, it doesn't work. If I reach out to help, but he doesn't want it, that doesn't do any good. It takes two people both reaching out. And that's what was so important about that scripture. He said he reached out, grabbed him by the hand, and then helped him up. And that's the moment that he got here. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Oh, no, I'll hear about it later. Here's why that's important, is it takes both sides. It takes everyone to see more life change happen. So I would just ask you to do this. Prayerfully say, God, what does it look like me to reach my hand out? What does it look like me to participate? If that's part of then God, we didn't say, hey, here's how much you need to give. It was ask God, what should be my part? Let me show you this graph. This just gives you a little perspective. Uh, generally speaking, in 2017, we had both campuses about 800 giving families. And giving families, we would say that's, that's somebody that gave to God financially through the church, through Mountain Lake Church in some form or fashion, whatever that might have been. There are 281 families that are participating in the Then God campaign. So maybe that's part of you reaching. I say, hey, I could be part of that. You might say, I didn't even know that was a thing. 
well, go to thengod.com. You'll hear everything. But you get to reach out and say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want that to say 282 because I want to be part of it. But it's not just on the financial side. Please know this. Our church is growing. We had almost 200 more people here on Christmas Eve than we have ever had in our campus history. That's amazing. But here's what we're also noticing is we're having the same volunteers do the same thing, but with more people coming in. That's the same kids volunteers with a lot more kids. It's the same, everything's the same volunteers. Why? So what I would maybe encourage you to begin to pray and ask is, God, what's, what does that look like for me to reach out my hand and be involved and be part of more? As we grow, it's going to take all of us. We use this phrase around here a lot, all in to get it all done. It's not a few people do everything. It's all in to get it all done. We reach out, we help, we pull up, we say, what does it look like to see more life change? God, how do you want to use me for more life change? And that's going to look different for all of us. That's great. That's why we are a body of believers. We all have a part to play. Are you willing to play yours? So whether that's volunteering and getting involved, whether that's financially getting involved, whether that is, is looking at, well, what can I do during the week? I mean, you name it. It's not just a Sunday at a service. There's a lot of ways for you to say, I want to be part of more life change. God, how do you want to use me for more life change? All in to get it all done. But when we look at people, that's where we see the proof that more life change is actually happening. And that's where the religious leaders had a paradigm lock. They couldn't fathom that Jesus caused that. They couldn't believe that these two men, Peter and John, would be used by Jesus to do something so miraculous as that story of life change. They couldn't believe it. So as we said, the only thing they could think to do is point their fingers and just say, well, stop it. <laughs> stop telling people about Jesus. Stop speaking his name. And here is their response. Chapter 4, verse 19. Verse 18 says, they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. And further, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. They couldn't help but share it. They couldn't help but tell other people about it. They see the life change. When we see life change, we see the people that are proof of life change happening. We can't help but tell it. When I fixed that dishwasher, I couldn't, I couldn't help but tell anybody. It was the only thing I could talk about for months and months and months. And my wife is like, move on. We get it. You fixed a dishwasher. But you can't help it because of that joy, because you know what happened and you know what you got to be part of. We share our life change story with other people. How do we do that? It doesn't just look like preaching the gospel. Sure, that's part of it. It's why we do baptisms the way that we do it. If somebody would ask, somebody, people have asked before, like, well, can I get baptized? But we do it in private? And I was like, well, I guess technically you can, but you're missing part of the point. It's to be public. It's to go public with your faith. It's to celebrate. It's to show everybody, here's my decision. I want the whole world to know what Jesus has done in my life. That middle part of I was and now I am, let me explain what happened in the middle, in the in-between. Jesus happened. So when we get baptized, we make a big deal about it because it is a big deal. The other thing you might notice is if you walk out in the lobby, up on the wall, you see a bunch of cards that look just like this. And you see a few cards that look like this. It's another way to show and share your life change. Whether that is a big decision or whether that's just, man, God's been working on my heart this week. Whether something happened in service right here. You, anytime you walk out to that wall and you take one of these cards and you simply turn it around. 
And it's a way for you to publicly demonstrate Jesus is continuing to change my life. Here's what he's done. And you have a story of life change to share. Right there in your seats, you have tell us your story cards. We want you to tell us your story. Write them down. Email them in. Email me. Tell us your story because we continue to share. And as we share more life change stories, what happens? That joy comes in. The smile comes in. I told you that's what I want. I want you to be able to smile more and smile big. Because when we discover something so great as Jesus, you can't help but smile and tell other people about it. Let me tell you a quick story uh, about Gatorade. I'm pretty sure that uh, you could not tell me the first time that you drank a Gatorade. You may be able to. That would probably be a few of you. I most certainly cannot remember the first time I drank a Gatorade. Couldn't tell you. It's just one of those where, I don't know, I guess I tried one one time, but you just don't think about it. But I most certainly can tell you very vividly the first time I saw somebody else drink Gatorade for the first time. Uh, my five-year-old son, which why Becky and I thought it was a good idea to give our five-year-old Gatorade is beyond me. Hey, let's give our, our five-year-old a sugary, energetic drink. That sounds like a great idea. But for whatever reason, we're like, hey, you want a Gatorade? So he had a Gatorade, and, and he didn't know what it was. And I said, well, you know, it's a drink. And so he took the top off, and he put it up to his lips, and he started drinking it. And, like, he did not put this thing down. I mean, he kept going, and, and every second that passed, his eyes got bigger. Part of that was the sugar. Part of that was excitement. And he got bigger, and he goes, and I'm like, bro, you need to breathe. And he's like, ah. And he finally he puts it down. And he goes, Dad. Have you had this before? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, buddy, it's a get like, It's the best drink ever. And I'm not making this. And then he just started drinking. I'm like, okay, time to cut you off. And he wouldn't let go. I mean, he finished that Gatorade full on in like two sittings, two, two drinks. And, and when he was done, he put it down. And, and he's kind of panting because he's out of breath. And he is just grinning. His eyes are big. He's got the biggest red mustache you've ever seen. And... He was just loving it. Well, why is that? Is it because Gatorade's that great? No. It's because it was his first time experiencing it, and his life has forever been changed. <laughs> when you experience life change, you cannot help but smile about it, to laugh about it, to be full of joy. So I told you I wanted you to smile more. Even if you're in the midst of brokenness, brokenness can be the beginning of a life change story. So as you're walking even through brokenness, smile through the tears because of where it might lead. I read you some of the numbers from 2017, but I want to do one more for you. Go up a little bit more. So I want to show you just some of the smiles and some of the things that we can be smiling for because of what God did this last year. Check out this video.
we have a lot of reasons to smile. Even in the midst of brokenness, may we be willing to smile because of what God has done, what he is doing, but also what we know he will continue to do. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you are doing. God, if we take you out of the equation, none of this makes sense. Why would we get up on our day off to go to church? Why would we sit through a service to sing songs and listen to somebody talk? Why, why would we allow our kids to be part of a, a ministry where they're learning about you? Why, why would we do any of this unless you were the reason? So God, we right now, we're just saying yes to you. We say you are the reason for everything that we do. You are that piece where it explains the I was and the now I am. That you are the reason our lives have forever and eternally been changed. And because of you, we are grateful. We are thankful. We can smile and laugh. We have joy. Even in the brokenness, we can smile because we know what is coming. That our brokenness can be the beginning to more life change. And more life change gives us so many reasons to smile. So God, thank you that we can live a life of big smiles because of the life change that you are causing and creating. In Jesus' name, amen.